I don't know who picked that song, but that was perfect for thinking about uh, worship. So thank you. Um, it fits so much of the theme that we're talking about this morning, and I love it when it just all it all comes together like that. That's what that's what we do in worship. We are being reminded uh, that we have ultimately one person uh, who we're single minded upon. Who we're focusing on, who we're thinking about, who is our vision. And that's what every song, every prayer, the Lord's Supper and the preaching, it is all pointing to him. It's pointing to Jesus Christ. So, uh, worship team, thank you all so much. Uh, If you would, open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through chapter 5, verse 2. And as I like to tell my students, please do not close your Bible because who cares what I have to say? It only matters if it's according to the Word. So, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17, all the way through chapter 5, verse 2. This is the Word of the Lord. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must not no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus Christ, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one of another be angry and do not sin do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord. God's people said, let's pray. Holy Spirit, help us this morning as we draw near to you. In the preaching of your word, that you would help us to hear the voice inside the voice, as Paul says in Romans 10. That you would help us to hear Christ speaking to us. 
That you enable us to see the, the power we have for new life in Him. And yet, at the same time, help us not to believe the lie that this life is our own or that we cannot change, but rather help us to see the truth that in Christ we are new creatures by the power of the Holy Spirit capable of living like Him. So tether us to Your Word, tie us up to Him, and help us to see the good news that there is new power for a new life for those in Christ. This is what Your Word proclaims proclaims to us, and we're asking that we would hear You speak to us. And as we hear, as You give us ears to hear, help us to live new lives. We ask all this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Something happens when you plug in too many cords into one outlet. Uh, Maybe it's a lesson some parents have had to teach their kids already. But who all has been there in person when you've seen too many cords plug into one outlet? Well, it, it almost looks like the outlet is just saying, look, I'm done with you. I'm giving up. And it just explodes in anger upon you as it sparks everywhere. You see, when we're overwhelmed, we often do the same thing and we give up. But the question is this. Does Jesus do that with us? Think about this. How many people in the world right now are utterly dependent upon Him? Are utterly dependent upon Him to live the Christian life, to persevere in their sufferings. And we're all looking to Him saying, Lord Jesus, please help. Sometimes we have five people asking things of us and we just explode like an outlet and we say we're done. How is He capable of helping us? Well, because... He is man, but he is also more than a man. He is God in our flesh. And because of that, he has an infinite ability and capability to empower us. For all of God's people throughout all of time, he has been able to sustain us and empower us to live a new life. That's how amazing the gospel is. That because of Jesus Christ and him alone, he can have so many people, as it were, plug into him And he can provide new power for a new life. It's this new life that we're learning to live as Christians. And you even see how Paul describes this new life in verse 17. He describes it as a walk. And a walk is something we do step by step. It takes time. It's it's not a sprint. It is a walk. And one of the things Paul is teaching us here is that as we learn to walk like Jesus, it takes time, but it also takes the right process. And that process can be seen in verses 22 to 24, if you'll look at that, where there's really three steps. And these are what we're going to cover this morning. First step is to put off your old self. The second step before putting on the new self is to renew your mind. Put off the old old self. Renew your mind. Thirdly, put on the new self. That's what we're going to look at. And as we look at this, what we're going to do is is show how Paul is going to explain this for this Ephesian uh, people. And we will apply it to our lives today as well. What we need to see most of all in this text is that in Jesus Christ, you have new power for a new life. So look at verse 22 yet again. Paul is saying that we need to learn as we were taught in Christ to put off 
the old self. Because in Christ, now that you're a believer and you've been spiritually resurrected from the dead, you now have a new power. You now have a new ability. And what is that? Well, it's to put off your sins. Because in Jesus Christ, you now have freedom and you can learn. It's not going to be perfect. But you can learn more and more and more to put off your old life. See, Paul using this term to put off, it is, as you would imagine, like taking off clothes and putting new clothes on. And first, in Christ, we have to learn to put off that old life. The old life which belongs to Satan, which belongs to the old Adam, which belongs to to death. You see, our old life, if I can use kind of a silly illustration, that old life is like having dogs. And dogs poop in your backyard. Now, you can either wait until the leaves fall and it will cover up the poop. But look, all you got to do is walk around the backyard and you will realize it's still there. You better learn to take it out. And it's one of those things where we can do whatever we can to try to cover up our sins, but that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is learning to take that out. Because our hearts produce sin every day. We've got to learn to take it out, lest it mess up the rest of our life. And part of that in this old life is the old mindset. Look at verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord... That you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And here it is. In the futility of their minds. What does Paul mean here? It means our old mindset was meaningless. Without purpose. It wasn't even logical. Now, now Paul's not talking trash here. He's trying to talk truth here. But the truth tends to hurt before it heals. And that might be an offense to you to hear that if you're an unbeliever or that when you were an unbeliever, that the Bible is saying your life was not logical. It literally was contradictory to the way in which you were made. We were made for God, but the life we live as unbelievers is a life apart from God for ourselves. It doesn't make sense. It's futile. It's not logical. And it's that mindset, like dogs as it were, that we need to not leave that there, but take it out, take it off. Paul also, look at verse 18, he says they are darkened in their understanding. You see, we often think that in our lives as unbelievers that we see the world clearly. But our old life, that old mindset was a life like if we were to turn off all the lights and we were to put blackout curtains on all the windows here, and we would rearrange all the chairs and we would say, okay, try sprinting from wall to wall and see how it goes. There's going to be a lot of stub toes, right? It doesn't work out very well. And that's what our mindset is because think about this. God is light. So John says in his epistle in 1 John, God is light. Well, if we don't live with the light, how can we see properly? That's the old Mindset. We, we think we're smart, but we're really not as smart as we quite think we are. You see, and why is this? Well, you see, God made us, as I mentioned earlier, God made us to live in relationship with Him. And He has exhibited His glory, He's exhibited His presence in creation to give everyone the evidence that He's there. 
Now, when we reject that knowledge, when we say, I'm not going to live as if God is God, but I'm going to be God, well, it hardens our hearts. It produces this spiritual ignorance and spiritual arrogance. And it's when we ignore God, it's when we ignore His truth, that actually it makes our hearts become a callous. I remember when Sinclair Ferguson came to RTS Jackson where I was in seminary and someone had asked him a question and it was something along the lines of this. Well, Sinclair, why is the modern church the state that it's in? Why is it the way that it is right now? Here's one of the answers he gave. He said, one of the things is that the reason why the church is the way it is is because we can't expect one 30-minute sermon a week to be sufficient to adequately feed us. Sinclair went on to say that one of the biggest influences in why the church is the way it is is in part because of the elimination of the evening worship service. Matter of fact, Dr. Robert Godfrey of Ligonier Ministries has said that there is a direct correlation between the elimination of things like the evening worship service and the moral and ethical downfall of societies. Now, cards on the table. I'm a fan of evening worship. But the point is not evening worship. The principle is, are we ignoring God's truth more and more and more? Because what it's saying here is that we become more and more darkened and calloused in our minds the less and less we pour into God's truth. And there is, and you you can't deny this, when you search through the Bible, when you search through church history, that the less and less God's people worship, the worse and worse societies get. You see, when this mindset is developed, it shows that we're in this old relationship. In this old relationship, in verse 18, it says we were alienated from the life of God. When we were alienated from the life of God, we were separated from Him, He who is the God of life, meaning that we we get death. And as we were alienated from Him, it says what? Because of the ignorance that is in our heart, that is in them, due to the hardness of hearts. Look at verse 19. Then it says they became callous in their thinking. Uh, Maybe some of you go and work out with Mark Tower. They use a lot of barbells. And one of the things when you use barbells, you know, the barbells are rough so you can grip them. Well, if you have really sensitive uh, skin on your hands, well, when you grab that barbell, when you use it a lot, when you're moving around, it will often give you blisters and it will rip up your skin. So here's actually what the body tends to do so that you can withstand that. Over time, it will build calluses on your hands. Now, some of you who are working out, you know this. You can look at your hands and you can see calluses all along your joints. That's good for working out, but here's what happens when we ignore God's truth more and more. It says it calluses our mind. And what is a callous? It hardens. It loses the sensitivity. So the more and more we ignore God and ignore God's truth, the more and more it loses our sensitivity to respond to Him. That makes sense, doesn't it? We were alienated from God and... That showed our, the ignorance in our thinking that led to the hardness of heart that calluses up our hearts. And that's that old mindset, that old relationship that produces an old lifestyle. And here's where Paul really gets going here. You see, first Paul says that 
we have given ourselves up. This is what this old lifestyle used to, used to be. When Paul says that we've given ourselves up, and he means that we've delivered ourselves over to sin. And even more so, it means we have betrayed our own selves, or betrayed our own being to give ourselves contrary to how we were made. Now, notice what we've given ourselves up to. We've given ourselves up to sensuality. We've given ourselves up to sinful abandon and to arrogant behavior. This sensuality that that Paul talks about is essentially it's a life where instead of crowning God as king, we crown ourselves. Particularly, this often happens in the lack of sexual restraint. Look at verse 19. It says they became callous in their hearts and they have given themselves up to, there's a word, sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now think about how different this is from often what we hear today. We can often hear today that you can be a Christian, but you can live. And matter of fact, you should live out your sexual desires. That is totally contrary to the Bible. Matter of fact, one of the first evidences of the mark of a Christian is learning to rethink about your sexual desires. Because in that process, you are learning to say no to yourself and yes to God because that's how God made you. He wants you to live in light of Him, not according to our broken and and twisted desires. You see, and when we live a life of lacking that sexual restraint, what happens? Well, we tend to harden our hearts even more. We tend to callous our hearts even more. You see, we also see in our old lifestyle that we lived a life of falsehood. Look at verse 25. Therefore... Talking about in our old life, having put away falsehood. What does he mean? That word literally means pseudo. That pseudo life. We could say this. We stop trying to live like pseudo Christians. Because really, really, there is no such thing as a pseudo Christian. You either are or you are not. Now, that's not a statement of saying that the Christian is perfect. Just go and read 1 John. Uh, that's not the case at all. But this pseudo life, this this falsehood life is whenever we just try to say one thing, but really in reality, we live contrary to that. And when we live this pseudo lifestyle, we we often live out our angry impulses. And that's how he finishes uh, this idea. Look at verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Uh, when we, there is, let me, let me back up. There is godly anger and there is ungodly anger. When we hold on to our ungodly anger, we give the devil an opportunity to destroy. And it's actually one of the most harmful things that can happen in a body of people is that when we hold on to our anger, the devil loves to use that to destroy the church or to destroy a community. And what Paul is saying here is that that old life of letting our anger just boil up and simmer and then all of a sudden explode, that's a life we've learned to put off more and more. The old lifestyle, the old life is a life that just lets our anger run wild. See, in our old lifestyle, it says that we used to steal. I love the 
The Greek word here is klepto, and that's where we get our word kleptomaniac, meaning the impulse to steal. What Paul is actually saying here is when he says, uh, look at verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. Here's what Paul is saying. He's not merely just saying don't take things from people that's not yours, but he also means this. Don't be a lazy worker in such a way where you're stealing time for your, from your employer. Don't, be the type, uh, don't live the type of life where you try to take credit for work that you didn't do. Paul is saying that's what the old life used to be like. But Christians were called to learn to put off that old lifestyle. He keeps going. Look at verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out. Come, ooh, that's a southern accent. Come out. Uh, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. You see... It's actually really interesting, the more you dive into this, this word for corrupting talk is actually the picture of a tree that is rotting at its roots. A tree that is rotting at its roots will eventually collapse. The type of talk Paul is is talking about here is the type of speech that promotes mistrust and gossip and slander, and it will eat away at relationships. It will eat away at the church, and eventually it will crumble upon itself. And so essentially what, what Paul is saying here, here's something we need to remember, because there are such things as sins of commission and sins of omission. In other words, there are things that we do that we should not do, but then there are things that we should do that we don't do. So what Paul is saying here about corrupting talk is he's not only saying this. He's not only saying don't speak badly about people as if that's your only job. No, no, no. He's also saying you're also in sin if you're not positively seeking to speak positive things. There's sins of commission and omission. So when we let corrupting talk fill our mouths, it's not just when we say things, but it's also when we don't say things. It means that whenever we're not promoting going on a grace hunt or promoting a culture of love or promoting a culture of honoring each other, that we're sinning. And actually, here's where the dagger comes in. Look at verse 30. It's in this context of speech that Paul says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. See, isn't this interesting? The Holy Spirit is known as the spirit of what? Truth. And in the community of God's people, we're supposed to be people of truth, people of, as it were, good words. We grieve the spirit whenever it's supposed to be a community of good speaking, but we grieve the spirit whenever we speak corrupting words. See, when there is a culture of corrupting speech, it hurts to hear, like it hurts our ears, and we're not able to hear the preaching of the word, or the teaching of the word, or the discipling of the word, the singing of the word, or whatever the word. How can we expect great things from the Holy Spirit in a church that is filled with unholy spirit of corrupt speech? You cannot promote a culture that soaks in God's word when there is a constant pouring out of rotten words. That's what Paul's saying. Here's what Charles Hodge says. 
Though he will not, talking about God, though he will not finally withdraw from those in whom he dwells, yet when the Holy Spirit is grieved, he withholds the manifestations of his presence. And a disregard for, for, for those manifestations is proof that we do not have the Spirit of Christ and are not his at all. Here's what Charles Hodge is saying. When we're not a community and a people that promote gracious speech, it will hurt our assurance of salvation. That's what he's saying. That sin hunting hunts down church members. And it can make us struggle to grow in our faith, grow in our knowledge of the gospel. And that's why we need, and as we'll look at in a little bit, a culture of encouragement and forgiveness and grace hunting. See, Paul goes on. He also talks about let all, verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Bitterness meaning words that are like sharp arrows that are intended to wound someone. Here's actually what Paul is talking about when he's talking about bitterness. Sometimes you can be saying the truth to someone, but the way in which you use it to cause harm is sinful. The way in which we use words to cause harm to other people, even when there are elements of truth in there, is actually sinful. Paul uses, when he talks about uh, how we need to put away these things, one of these phrases is used in Colossians 3.19 when he says, Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh towards them. Here's one of the ways in which we can let bitterness grow amongst us is whenever husbands, we can walk in the house and we walk into a messy home and it might be a messy home. But when we use those words to try to make our wives live a better life or we want to really show who's the top dog, whatever it is, that's being harsh. That's being simple, even when there's truth in it. It means we need to be wise with our words. You see, our old lifestyle means that we need to put away wrath. We need to stop being people literally who are smoking within like a volcano. We need to put away that clamor which is shouting at other people, that slandering which is blaspheming other people. You see, when we slander other people, once again, we use portions of the truth. But like in modern day politics, we use it as a smear campaign. This is not being filled with the gospel. This type of culture, what Paul is saying, is something we got to learn to put off because that's not what Christ is doing within us. You see, we need to learn that as James says in James chapter 1, verse 20, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You see, if I can even just use this illustration again, when there's stuff in the backyard, you can't let it sit there. you got to learn to take it out. And that's what we do in the Christian life. Because yes, there is mess in our hearts. And it does look like that. It does smell like that. And you've got to get rid of it. Because all it will do is spoil things and ruin things. But in Christ, we have that new power. We have the new power to live a new life. That's step number one. But step number two is right here. Look at verse 23. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Paul is saying that after you are learning more and more to put off the old self, you've got to learn to renew your mind. It's almost like this. This word means it's, it's kind of like HGTV and the renovation shows. Except that's happening to your mind, and it's happening all the time. We're constantly going through that spiritual renovation, as it were. 
And one commentator says that this renewing of our mind, it should give us a whole new personality, a whole new way of life. You see, the more and more we learn to live the Christian life, it's almost like when you have one accent and you move to a different area and you kind of start to adopt that accent. I'm from Alabama. Surprise, surprise. Well, when I moved from Alabama, where we love to draw out our vowels, and I moved to New Orleans, we had a bunch of, on the football team, we had a bunch of guys who were from the the Bayou area, and they had this Cajun accent. Well, when I would go back to Montgomery, people would start to say, you sound different. And I would love to say, you shouldn't be talking. (laughs) I feel like I get that everywhere I go. But here's one of the things that happens in the Christian life. Is that we learn to take on Christ's accent. We learn to speak and live and look more and more like Him. And like developing an accent, it takes time. It takes immersing yourself in that culture, immersing yourself in the gospel. And the more you do that, the more you're able to live like Him. I love what one of uh, a guy me and Grace used to work for back in Montgomery, who also loved to draw out his vowels. And uh, he used to always pray this prayer. Lord, make us more like you and less like ourselves. That's a good prayer. Lord, make us more like you and less like our sinful selves. That's what Paul's talking about when he's talking about renewing our mind is to change the thought process, to change the way we think so that it's in step with the Holy Spirit. It's in step with the gospel. And throughout the Bible, there's always a big priority on the mind. The mind is certainly not the only thing. But it is the main thing that trickles out into everything else. There is that, that, those steps, that process, as it were, from head to heart to hands. You can't live out with your hands what you don't feel in your heart. And you can't feel in your heart what you don't know in your head. You see, we need to take in God's truth, and that truth is so powerful that it transforms our hearts that then helps us live differently. Here's what, once again, Paul Tripp says, As the rain of truth falls upon us, angry people become peacemakers. Greedy people become givers. Demanding people become servants. Lustful people become pure. Faithless people become believers. Proud people become Humble rebels become obedient people and idolaters become worshipers of God. That's why we don't just need to be hearers only of the word, but hearing in such a way that, as James says in James 1.22, that makes us doers. When we hear the word of God, we need to take it in and say that is the truth, not just when I feel like it, it is truth. And we need to renew our minds to think in such a way. You see, truth is meant for transformation. And there's no such thing as transformation when there is no truth. Did you hear that? Truth is meant for transformation, but there will be no transformation in your life where there is no truth. We need to proclaim God's word. That's why the early church in Acts 2 verse 42, it says of them, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Meaning that they persevered in hearing God's word over and over and over. Here's what the church is. The church is people of the book. 
The church is people who come back again over and over and over and over again to the truth because the truth transforms the way we think. That's why the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead must always constantly be unpacked, explained, illustrated, applied, discipled, counseled, you know, apologized as it were. We must constantly, constantly, constantly be focusing on Jesus and his gospel and finding ways to unpack that because it's in the renewing of our mind that we learn to live different lives. Notice that there is this truth that is in connection with Christ. It's always truth that is connected to him. In other words, there's no such thing as growing into a mature Christian when you leave behind Christ. Because if there's no Christ in your Christian life, you're just an Ian, as it were. When you leave behind Christ, there is no maturity. But when you dive deeper into Christ, dive deeper into studying who he is, what he's done, how he is ruling and reigning today over all things. How the gospel of free grace changes you, not because you're good enough, but just because he's good enough. And the more and more that is proclaimed, it changes you. It sanctifies you. And it makes us want to study it more. That's why Psalm 111 verse 2, it says, Great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. When you look in the history of the church, when you see periods of revival and reformation and renewal, it is always times when people study God's word more. And when you look at the downfall of societies and the downfall of churches, it is always because the word is less and less proclaimed. You can just go and see it and it happens over and over and over again that when God's people are without God's word, they cannot look more and more like God's people. You see, the renewing of our minds is so important because in this process, the more and more we learn about what our sin is, the more and more we learn about who we are in Christ, the more and more we learn of what it looks like to live a godly life. Here's what happens in our minds. If I can take another dog example. There's too many dogs right now. Um, our conscience is like a guard dog. And as a guard dog learns what is a threat and what is not, it will learn to bark when it needs to bark and not bark when it doesn't need to. Well, the more we learn of God's truth, the more we study God's word, our conscience will learn to bark at sin but to welcome in righteousness. But we can't do that unless our minds are being renewed. That's why we need the truth. Put off the old self. Renew your minds. And thirdly, by the power of Christ, put on the new life. Look at verse 24. And to put on the new life. Once again, it's this language of clothing. And it's, it's the same language that Jesus uses in the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15, 22. When, remember, the younger son has come back and he is still filthy. He is still nasty. And the father says, bring the best robe and put it on him. It is putting on Christ, learning to put him on and, and as it were, wear him more and more and more. You see, because in Christ, we're no longer alienated from God, but we're friends. In Christ, we're no longer dead, but we're alive. In Christ, we no longer walk in darkness, but we walk in light. In Christ, we no longer have to try to earn God's love, but it is freely given to us. 
See, in Christ, there is a totally new relationship. And that relationship, as it were, it says in verse 24, it creates us or recreates us more and more after the image of Christ in righteousness and holiness. This new relationship is also a, it's a new mindset and it's learning to build, as it were, spiritual habits. One author uh, in his book on habits, he says that if you're flying from LAX to, to New York City, but if you were to change the, the degree to which you were heading merely by three and a half degrees, by the end of that flight, instead of being in New York City, you would be in Washington, D.C. When we have a new direction and we learn slowly but surely to take one step after another and to keep walking in that spiritual direction... If we're heading in the right direction, we can be hundreds of miles from where we could have been. But we have to know where we're heading. We have to learn to put on Christ and and habitually learn to walk in the ways in which he walked. Here's some of this lifestyle that Paul is talking about. Look at verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather what? Let him labor doing honest work. See, our new life in Christ, it leads us to do good work, hard work, ethical work, work that would benefit people. And that hard work is actually what produces a giving spirit. Notice that it's not the other way around. It is not demanding people to give and then telling them to work. It is giving people a good work ethic and then it promotes giving to other people. It's actually the gospel of grace that promotes giving rather than guilt tripping and shaming. You see, this new lifestyle is also a new lifestyle of uplifting speech. It's not that corrupting talk. When Paul is talking about this new speech, he's literally saying that our words build up God's house. You see, here's what we can say. A church that is gripped by the gospel of grace inevitably goes on a grace hunt. A church that is gripped, truly gripped by the gospel of grace inevitably learns to go on a grace hunt with other people. We're a community that as we hear good words, we love to speak good words. Words that build people up. Words that powerfully strengthen people. Words that learn to speak to someone in their particular situation that helps them persevere. You see, our words, if it's like a house, our words can give people rest. Our words can give people relaxation. With our words, we can support each other during tough times. And with our words, we can offer people security from the constant criticism in our culture. Amen? We're constantly facing that over and over and over again. Wouldn't it be finally nice to have a place where we can say, "Ah, here's where I can be built up. Because we know there's still sin in us. Where is Paul getting this? He's getting it from Jesus. Because the more and more Jesus would look at people, the worst sinners and the worst worst sufferers, it would be amazing how he would tend to go on a grace hunt with people, even though he knows their sin. No one knows sin more than Jesus does. No one sees sin more clearly than Jesus does. But yet so often, instead of Jesus just first and foremost going on a sin hunt, he moves towards them in forgiveness. He encourages people. He would even at times give people new names to redefine the way they thought about themselves. That's what the gospel produces. I love what Truett Cathy once said. How do you identify someone who needs encouragement? That person is breathing. 
You see, by the power of Christ, our new life is a life of kindness. And it's the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew 11, verse 30, when he says, my yoke is easy. The gospel produces a community that loves to ease burdens. Our new life in Christ is tender hearted. It literally means it's amazing how many how how much this theme is coming up. It literally means good bowels. Uh, but here's what that, here's how that word's being used in scripture. <laughs> when they talk about bowels, it meant the inner part of who you were, and that word was often used for compassion. Meaning that you don't just, when you look at someone in their sin, you look at someone in their suffering, that you just try to like put on this outward facade, but you really feel differently about them within. No, no, no. That the gospel produces deep within you empathy, compassion, something you feel deep within. It's the same word used of Jesus once again when he would look at the worst of the worst. Tenderheartedness produces forgiveness. And look at that at the end of verse 32. Forgiving one another as Christ in God forgave you. Whew, what a standard. Not holding people's sin over their head until they can do good enough to escape that reputation. Not constantly reviewing their past sins so that they can, they can always never feel good enough or that they always have to feel like they're on the JV Christian team. Forgiving people. The confession of sin that we do in our order of worship should promote forgiveness towards other people. It's one of the reasons why we should keep doing it. You see, this new lifestyle, how do we see it? It's all pointed to Jesus. It's all focused on Him. Him, as it says in chapter 5, verse 2, Him who we're supposed to be imitators of. Him who loved us and gave Himself up for us. That's where the power comes from. It's like Clifford the big red dog. You know, Clifford gets bigger because he knows how much he's loved. Isn't that actually a really good parallel? You live more like Christ the more you know Christ's love. There is no other way. In Andrew Roberts' uh, biography of Winston Churchill, he says this line about Churchill. He says, Churchill's sublime self-confidence and self-reliance stemmed directly from the assurance he instinctively felt in who he was and where he came from. Almost to the point of arrogance. Because of who he was and where he came from, he was able to have strength amidst darkness. Well, here it is for you, dear Christian, and only for the Christian. Because of who you are in Jesus Christ, and because of the Holy Spirit within you, you can have confidence that you can put off the old self and put on the new. But you have to renew your mind to see that truth. You have to renew your mind that there's grace in Jesus Christ that is enough to empower all of us in this room to do that. But it only happens when we keep the focus on Him. It only happens when we hear Him and His Word. That's what, we, that's what we can have in Him. With that in mind, let's pray. You're ready to confess our faith. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for the truth in Your Word. That in Christ, what a marvelous mystery and a marvelous message. That we can be new people. And we can really live like Jesus because Jesus Himself empowers us. Help us to do so. Take these words. Seal them upon our hearts by the Holy Spirit and empower us to renew our minds and to put on that new self. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.